0: Dear Lord, we are so grateful and thankful for the praise and honor in which we can give to You. And Lord, we thank You that it is not by might or power, but by Your Spirit that we come to know You. God, I pray this morning that today would be a day where Your people experience freedom. Where the chains of bondage are broken. Where we see that holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And that even the demons shudder at the sound of His name. And so Lord, this morning we, we ask you to open up our hearts. Give us the ears that hear. And God, I pray that we wouldn't listen to the lies of the evil one who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. But that we would concentrate and fixate on your voice, on your word. So that you, the name of the Lord, might be praised and glorified. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm in Mark chapter 1 this week. And then we're all going also going to look at Galatians chapter 6. If you want to just kind of have that spot in your Bible. Uh, I I titled this, When the Devil Comes to Church. uh, and, And some of you maybe looking around right now. But um, in all seriousness, we're gonna look at the authority of Christ and the authority of Christ over evil itself. You know, when I grew up as a child, uh my mother when I go to church, um, she was one of my authorities as a Matter of fact, she even she taught and she taught uh choir and so when I go to church on Sunday, she taught our children's choir, uh I remember my mom being in charge uh my mom also was a counselor and then became an assistant principal at the elementary school that I was in and so I would ride to school and my mom was there and she was she had authority uh she had authority in the car and she had authority after we got out of the car and authority when I got back in the car and then we would come home my dad usually worked late and um and we had a, a little farm there and so my mom was the authority there for most of the hours of the day uh and you know the real truth of it I kind of liked having my mom uh in my life kind of liked her. I, I didn't always like uh her knowing what happened at school before I got to her office, but uh but I there was a comfort that came knowing that my mom in every facet of my life almost was in charge and uh, in control and had authority over me. It's interesting as we look at this passage here in Mark chapter one. As a matter of fact we've if you've been reading Mark you're very aware you you can see where the authority of Christ has already been shown and made evident. The authority of Christ in the sense of who He is, that He is God, He is the Holy One. Even the demons recognize that. His call as He called the disciples, as He calls us into salvation, into discipleship. His authority over tradition we see in verse 22. His authority The authority of His teaching and His authority over evil. Let's read that passage. In Mark, uh, beginning with the 21st verse, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. Now, uh, the synagogue was not to be confused with the temple. Uh, it was a place, though, where uh, if there were ten Jewish men, uh, they could start a synagogue. And so it was, uh, it was a little place of worship that they would go, and they would be taught. Uh, they would uh they would say pray, prayers and, and usually would even maybe quote scripture. And they would have a time of teaching. And it was customary if there was a visiting teacher slash rabbi that you would give that teacher an opportunity to speak. And so that's probably what's happening here with Jesus. Uh, remember, Judaism is the religion of the day. There is no Christianity at this point. Christ has come and he's beginning the process of his ministry. So he's gone into a very Jewish synagogue and he's speaking here. And the Bible tells us uh, that the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as of teachers of the law. He taught them as one who had authority. Now, when you would teach in the day of Jesus in the first century, if you were Jew, typically what you would do is you would quote other rabbis, either rabbis that existed that day who had high respect or rabbis from the past. Because they were the ones who had interpreted the scripture. They had even commentaries. We, we didn't call them, uh, comment, they didn't call them commentaries back then. Uh, but they had extra biblical writings, um that they would use. Uh, the Talmud and the Mishnah. And actually there were several others. They were called the Tradition of the Elders. And, uh, they would use those and they would quote from those. And they would say, as such and such rabbi says, and they would give the commentary, they would usually uh, give a list of who they had um, derived this information from, who had interpreted it, and that gave the credibility of their words, of their, their teaching. Now this was particularly important because not every synagogue even had a, a rabbi or a teacher. Uh, so sometimes they were laymen. So it was important that you quoted so that you had authority for what you were saying. And But Jesus comes in and he's not quoting anybody. He's quoting the Scripture, but he's not quoting any other rabbi. He's not quoting any well-known authority in Scripture. He's just teaching on his own. And his words are one with authority, and the people are amazed by his insight and his teaching. Scripture continues here. And just then a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an evil spirit, cried out, what do you want to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, get the picture here. They're in the synagogue, and it's probably pretty small. If they have 20 or 30, 40 people at the most, that's probably a good Sabbath day. And this new rabbi has got up, and, and he's speaking He's not quoting other authority or other rabbis. And all of a sudden, someone in church, so to speak, in the synagogue, stands up and says, I know who you are. Why have you come, Jesus, Holy One of God? Now, remember, the Trinity is what? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So when he's saying God, he's talking about Jesus. He's saying, God, what are you doing here? Which begs the question, I don't know who's been there or what's been going on in the past, uh, but it probably wasn't a... A real vibrant synagogue at this point. And, uh, but nevertheless, this guy stands up and he's possessed. Now, for just a moment, let's talk about the difference between possession and oppression. And let me say, there are a lot of terminologies and a lot of people out there. Uh, if you want to go read enough books, you can find people that differ with me and you're welcome to do that. But I'm going to tell you uh, what I believe. First of all, there's possession. And that's obviously what's going on right here with this gentleman, with this individual. He is possessed. What that means is that uh, a demon or an evil spirit has come into his life and is now controlling him in large parts. Okay? And so possession comes from within. Now, I believe myself that possession can only occur when when it is invited in. And I don't believe a Christian can be possessed. I, granted, there are people who disagree with me. I think they're wrong. Okay? So uh, you came to Rock Point today, so that's what I'm going to tell you. All right? So people... uh People can be possessed, that still occurs today, but they get themselves in a position where they're inviting uh, demons to come. They're inviting, they're doing things, and we could go through a, a big list, but we don't have time to it, uh, whether uh, it's in seances, whether it's in prayers or whatever, in which they invite evil spirit into them. And uh, I believe it's still possible, and I think there's plenty of evidence that indicates that. So that's possession. But what often happens with the Christian is... Not possession, uh, but and not necessarily even obsession, although it can lead to that, but oppression. Possession comes from within. Oppression comes from the outside. So, in other words, sometimes uh, Christians uh, are oppressed, and I believe we're all oppressed, but some become very oppressed with maybe substances, with sexuality, uh, with a number of different sins, and Satan begins to find your weak spot, and he starts to oppress you there. And oppression comes toward to you. And uh, it's interesting. Um, C.S. Lewis uh, says it like this. He says, There are two equal and opposite eras into which our race can fall about demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are pleased by both eras. Now, if you've not read the screw tape letters, I, I want you to know that it's required reading at Rock Point Church, okay? I, 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 we can't make you read it, but, uh, if you're out of youth ministry, if you're 14 or older, I, I just think you ought to read this book. It's a short, it's, it's, it's fiction, but it's written by one of the greatest intellectual minds of the 20th century, and I think it does the best job of helping you understand. It's an easy read. It's very readable. I encourage you to get, it. we've got a few copies out there that you can, uh, pick up. Um I don't have a lot, but you can get them at any, you can get that at any Christian bookstore, Amazon, whatever. Uh, but I, if you've not ever read that, I want to ask you to take the hour and 15 minutes that it takes to read it. If you're, you're a fast reader, you can read it faster than that and read the screw tape letters, uh, by C.S. Lewis. But he gives a, I wish we had time to go into it, but he gives a vivid understanding and description of what it looks like. And I think that quote, that's where he opens his preface right there with a, With that quote, there are two errors that we can fall into. One is to become obsessed and the other is to not even believe they exist. And, you know, I I wonder if that's not what happens to many of us as believers today, particularly in the Western world. It's easy just to think, hey, it just doesn't exist. And those are all movies and other places. And I don't see it in flower mounts. It doesn't exist kind of mentality. okay? but of course. It's going on here in the day of Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, uh, the demons have no choice. The Bible tells us they fear and tremble at his name in, the, in, the, uh, in James chapter 2. But this demon cries out and says, I know who you are. Have you come to destroy us? Uh, it lets us know that demons know their ultimate reality, their ult- ultimate ending. He says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus says in verse 25, be quiet. You don't have authority to speak. He says, come out of him. And the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And the people were all amazed and they asked, what is this? A new teaching with authority, with power. And he gives orders to the evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly all over the region of Galilee. And as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. And Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her and he took her hand and helped her up. And the fever left her and she began to wait on them. And that evening after sunset, people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. And the whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who, who had various diseases. And he drove out many demons but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Now, what's interesting in this passage, if you read it, you just don't even recognize after we get into this part where the demons start speaking, you don't even remember the rest of the text. I mean, it's like you're going, okay, he did what? And the demon said what? And and what's going on here? I mean, that's just human nature. That's where our mind goes. So I want us to deal with that, you know, because it's easy for us to read passages like that. You know, some people just explain away, well, in Jesus, day. You know, here, commentators say in Jesus' day, you know, it was just a lot more evident. That probably isn't going on today. And um and people handle it that way. Or somebody looks at that and they go, you know, I don't even, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to, don't want to read that. I don't like those movies. They stare me in those books and all that stuff. And I just can't handle it. I don't want to talk about it. But it's real and it's here. And these are the words of Jesus. So you either need the Thomas Jefferson out and cut it out or, or you got to deal with it. If you cut it out, uh, then you've you 've cut out the power of the Word of God when you cut out the words of Jesus uh, then you 've gone down a bad road, and so I think it 's here, and so we 've got to deal with it. so I want us to talk about it this morning. So if you would turn with me to ephesians chapter six now i've i've preached a sermon before on Ephesians, ephesians chapter six on spiritual warfare uh, but let's let 's read this passage right here. Paul is speaking here to the Ephesian church, and he says, finally, be strong in the Lord." And in his mighty power, be strong in the mighty power, of not on your own, but on the mighty power of God, the mighty power of Christ. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. That word schemes right there means strategies, uh, methods, the way that he comes against you. He says you want to stand against those and recognize that he has schemes for we fight or struggle Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, and against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. You know, part of his schemes are division, uh, diversion, and deception. And uh, as we look at this this morning, I think, first of all, we have to establish the fact that demons do exist, and that this is not just a tale it's not just in third world countries, but that they exist today in our world today. It's interesting. Um, Andrew DeBonco, uh, who is at Columbia University, he wrote a book called The Death of Satan. Now he says right in the front of his book, he goes, look, I am a, uh, basically a liberal secularist. Okay. I'm not a Christian. Uh, I'm, I'm not a religious person in any means, but we have been studying this subject. Been dealing with people uh, for a long time. and matter of fact, the university right across the street in New York, and uh, over in New York, he said, look, they've come to a place where they've had to reinsert the term evil back into their textbooks because there are certain things that happen that you can't explain any other way. He said it was very popular in the 50s and the 60s and even the 70s to say, you know what, this is all a behavioral issue. These are all sociological issues. if people can just be well educated and trained, uh they can get rid of those behaviors and they won't be serial killers anymore and there won't be genocide anymore and there won't be obsessive uh child abuse and things that are even more horrible if if we wanted to go on and talk about them um People just need to be educated you know that's kind of naive when you stop and think about in World War two possibly. Uh, the most well-educated society, particularly at that time, and some would say in history, Germany at that point, and you see the Holocaust occurring. You see atrocities occurring that it couldn't simply be education. In our world today, as we continually hear about children who are killing children, is it really an education issue? Look, Johnny, I just want you to know that you know, one day maybe you're going to be tempted to take a gun and go home and go to your school and shoot people. I want to, I want to just tell you that's not right right now and that's not a good idea. In mommy and daddy in our home, we don't do things like that. Okay. It, it's more than an education experience. There is something the Bible tells us that is tra- on a trajectory from uh, outside of us that influences us. There are voices that speak to us. And they're not the voice of God. And we can pretend like it doesn't exist, but the truth of it is, is that it does. DeBanco goes ahead and he uses the illustration from The Silence of the Lambs. Uh, if you remember Hannibal Electric, Anthony Hopkins, uh, we can't even hear that name without thinking of that. I, by the way, I've never seen the whole movie, okay, because that stuff disturbs me. And, uh, so I haven't even seen the whole movie. I like watch parts of it and I just go, I can't do that. My wife thinks I'm a weenie. Uh, but I just can't even. I can't even watch that kind of stuff, okay? But uh, you know, there's that one point where Officer Starling comes and she's first meeting. She's reading his report and she goes, "What happened to him?" And Hopkins, or Lick, says, uh, "What do you mean? What happened to me? Nothing happened to me. This is who I am. You're, you've become a behaviorist. You think that something had to happen to everyone for them to ha- for for something to be wrong with them." Look at me. Can you simply not handle the fact that I am evil? And that's what our culture wants to do today. Well, obviously, you had something in your past uh, to make you accountable. Uh, Obviously, you had something in your past to be that warped. Some people, quite frankly, are possessed. And others are so oppressed that they're in complete bondage. And as DeBanco says in his research, he goes, as of today, we can't tell you what it is. We simply know that it's not something that people are innately necessarily born with. We can't tell you where this presence of evil comes from. And this is, again, a non-believer. Well, I can tell you, the Bible makes it very clear where evil has come from. It comes, first of all, from fallen angels. Those who chose to rebel against God Almighty. And that's where the initial and original demons came from. And then it comes from the fallenness of man when we chose to sin. When we chose deliberately in the fall of mankind to sin, to go against God. So we know that sin exists. We know that evil exists. And we know who we are fighting. Now, four considerations that you might want to think about. As we go on with this subject, because a lot of people go, well, I still this don't think it's really, I really don't believe in the evil. I believe those are all psychological problems. And let me say this. I am not suggesting, nor does the Bible suggest, that people don't have psychological or sociological problems. Jesus dealt with people all the time that had problems, okay? And he talks about some who had mental illness. So uh, I don't think you can classify it as all as mental illness as some would want to do today. They're both, and both were existing in existence during Jesus' time. But if you don't believe in the presence of evil, if you don't believe in demons, then let me give you four thoughts and four considerations. Number one, maybe you're the one that's being too simplistic and naive. We like to think, well, if people were just better educated. If they were more well-educated, then they would understand. I don't know what you do with people like C.S. Lewis, who had his Ph.D. uh, from Cambridge who who taught who taught at oxford and taught at cambridge i don't know what you do with the people who are intellectual do you think you're smarter than them i don't know what we do with most of the other cultures in the world when you get away from uh, england and europe and you get outside of north america where almost every culture uh, fully recognizes whether they're christian or not that there's an evil okay so that's maybe we're the ones being naive Um, maybe we're the ones being culturally narrow into thinking because we don't necessarily experience it right in front of us in our little town that, hey, it must not exist. Let me ask you this. Do you believe in God? Well, God believes in the power of Satan. God believes there is Satan. It tells us in the Word. So if you believe the Bible, then you have to deal with it. It's interesting. Barna says that uh, over 90% of the people in the United States today, they believe in heaven, but only 60% believe in Satan and hell. That tells us right there that we, we like to choose what is most comfortable and what works for us. And we go back to that same mentality of making up our own God and making up our own Bible. And that's what, if Jesus did anything in Mark, it was to proclaim that he was God. And that he does stand for truth. His word is truth. So what do we fight against then? It's said right there in Ephesians 6 that we fight against his schemes. The devil's schemes. We mentioned this earlier. There's There are two schemes that he primarily uses. The first one is overestimating the presence of evil and the power of Satan. Overestimate it. Think that... He is in charge, and he is in control, and he can do anything. And think he is there's a demon behind every rock, and obsess about it. Lewis, as Lewis said, or just don't think about it at all. Just think that's a fairy tale, and doesn't exist. And as Lewis said, both errors Satan is equally pleased with. We must recognize a couple of things. First of all, that. Satan, the very word used, uh, translated in the Greek, diablo, literally means this. It means slanderer and liar. In his essence, in, in uh, when you really break down the etymology of who he is, he is a liar and he is a slanderer. And he does that by two primary methods. Temptation and accusation. Temptation. What is tem- Temptation. Temptation, he gets you to think more highly of yourself than you ought to. To think that you're stronger than you ought to. You know what? I'm fine. I'm good. I don't have to worry about those temptations. I'm in control of myself. I'm in control of those situations. You know, I would never have an affair. I would never have a substance problem. I would never find myself in an uncompromising position. I would never steal. I would never lie. And we start to think and start to believe the lie that we are better and stronger than we really are. That's the temptation that he uses. That's the self-talk that enters into our mind. But there's another temptation, or there's another way that he uses another scheme, another method, and it's accusation. And where temptation is to think you're above that and beyond that, and it couldn't happen to you. Accusation is this. You know what? You don't qualify. It's getting you to think too lowly of yourself. You know what? You're not like everybody else. I mean, what have you done? Matter of fact, the things that you have done, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You shouldn't even be in a place like this. You don't deserve any of this. Matter of fact, you're being a complete hypocrite. What you ought to do is just quit showing up. Just go away. Quit talking about this. You know, you certainly are beyond repair. What could God do with somebody like you? I mean, think about your past. You don't know that much. And you know you've sinned before. You and I both know what you've done. And the doubts that you have in your mind, John 10.10 says, Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to destroy your confidence in the person of Jesus Christ. He wants you to feel and to think that you are useless and worthless. Or he wants you to think that you're above it all. You're more intellectual. You're stronger. Which lie does he use with you? Now how does Satan tempt us through those? Well Richard Baxter. Who was a 16th century Puritan preacher. Um, as a matter of fact he was in Kitterminster. Uh, St. Mary's church. And uh, he came in and just started a complete revival. In a time where. Uh, that area of Europe was completely dead. And he said, you know, there are at least eight ways. As a matter of fact, there are more than this. He, he gives the whole list. But I want to share with you at least eight ways that Satan tempts us, that he accuses us and he tempts us. Number one is showing us the bait, showing us the bait and hiding the hook. Now, what did he mean by that, showing us the bait and hiding the hook? What he wants you to do is concentrate on the short-term pleasure And not think about the long-term consequences. Focus on the immediate gratification that you can have. And just forget. Just don't even consider the long-term ramifications of your actions. You know, I I heard from a friend of ours yesterday. And they had just finished uh, the divorce process. And um, they were just sharing with me, uh, you know what, man, all the pain and all the suffering because of a short-term experience that I thought would be fine and didn't ever consider the long-term ramifications and the pain and the suffering that it was caused. And that's one of Satan's primary tokens. Number two, think of your sin as a virtue. I'm not greedy. I'm very conservative. I don't have a substance, to problem. I'm just very social. And you start to think... You know what? I, I mean, this is a virtue. This is, this is who I am. It's not sin. Number three, focusing on the sin of others. Well, I mean, I'm no saint, but look at him. Look at her. I mean, they even go to our church. I'm doing better than they are. I'll tell you that. That's for sure. Uh, I'm, I'm better than they are. And we start to focus and defend or presuming upon the mercies of God. You know, yes, this is sin. I'm going to do it. But God will forgive me. I mean, after all, you know, I'm. When it comes to sin, I'm good at it, and God's good at forgiving. That's His job. This is mine. We start to presume upon the mercies of God, or becoming embittered over suffering and thinking, you know what? If if people knew what I've gone through, if God sees what I've gone through. Yeah, this may be my mindset. These may be my actions. These may be my words. But after what I've gone through, I deserve to do this. I deserve to not have to be bound by the laws and conformities of Christ. I I mean, after all I've gone through, I ought to be given a break here. How about this one? Believing that everybody else, Satan comes and says, everybody else has got a better situation than you. Everybody else has a better spouse. Everybody else's children are well-behaved. No one else has any debt. No one else has to struggle with their job. Yeah, it's you. I mean, you come to this church and everybody else, their lives are great. And then poor you. Boy, you deserve a break today, so go out and get away. And I don't mean McDonald's either. Or how about this one? Defending the sin part of your life by the good things that you do. You know what? Yes, maybe I am cheating on my wife, but I'm, I'm a good provider. I provide for our family. I've heard people say stuff like this. I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Okay, maybe I'm, maybe I'm abusive, but you know what? I, I, I take my children on a nice trip every year. And I love my mother. I mean, it just kind of come up with things like this. You know, I, I always heard this one. I, you know, I'm not. I've never killed anybody. Yes, I've got this addiction, I hear, but I've never killed anybody. And you, you mean you start grabbing for? Str- Where do you think that voice comes from? Where do you think you're hearing that message from? You think that's God saying, "Well, you've not killed anybody. You'll be fine. Do whatever you want. Don't worry about the rest of your family. You'll be fine." No, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroys, and he does that through accusation and through temptation. And you have to decide, what are my temptations? What lies do I listen to? Which are the ones that get to me? How does Satan accuse? He gets us to look more at our sin than our Savior. And for those of us who fall into that accusation, who feel like we're not worthy and not good enough, instead of focusing in on Christ, we focus in on that sin of the past that we can't do anything and we get obsessed about this past mistake or something that's happened that we can't undo and we obsess over it. Instead of focusing in on Christ and His forgiveness, you know, it's the same principle with our children, or even with us at work. What do we focus on if we get an evaluation? If we get ten great things, it's the one negative, but you need work here. It's like we get the report card, you know, and we go, well, you got all A's. Oh, you got a C right here. Let's talk about the C. Forget those A's. Let's talk about the C. That's that same voice. That's that same mentality. Let's focus on the inadequacy. Let's focus on your deficiency. And let's camp out there. Believe that the struggles that you're in are punishment. Well, it's obviously it's what they did in Job's day. You're being punished. That's right, because you're a sinner. God's punishing you. And you shouldn't expect that to be let up any time. I mean, you think he's going to forget about that? God's punishing you. And you just need to recognize that and just live under that oppression. I mean, that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to be miserable the rest of your life. Matter of fact, the worse you feel, the more you stick your head under a rock, the better it will be for you. Does that really sound like the living and resurrected Lord who comes to set us free? Who comes to give us life and life abundantly? Or believe, you know what? You must not even be a Christian because you have doubts. You have doubts and struggles. Maybe I'm not even a believer. I mean, I... These things don't make sense to me. Sometimes I wonder if really is a God. Obviously, I must not be a Christian at all. Satan wants you to live in one of those two states. He wants you to live in a crushed. He wants you to live in a shame-based mentality, an accusation, or he wants you to live or ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit and think, you know what? If it feels good, do it. God will forgive you. Everyone else does. You you know what? You'll be fine. You won't go that far with it. He wants you to live in one of those two mentalities. So how do we fight this? Well, first of all, recognize what your weaknesses are. Where Satan's going to come against you. What are the weaknesses in your life? What are the things that you're tempted by? What are the lies, the accusation lies that that you hear in your head and take the gospel for what it's worth. Read the rest of that passage right there in Ephesians chapter 6 and to recognize I'm going to stand against Him by the weapons of the Lord Jesus Christ through faith, through His Word, through prayer, through truth. I'm going to stand against Him and I'm going to believe and live out the gospel. And I want to believe these two principal things about the gospel If I could summarize the theology of the gospel, it would be into these two statements. And we've got to live in this truth. Number one is that I am more sinful and wicked than I ever thought or can imagine. And that I'm a sinner who cannot and I can't save myself. I'm never going to be good enough. My sin was so great, Jesus had to die for me. Okay, that's the first principle. That we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay? if we recognize that we are sinners and that we can be tempted, that we can be drawn away, recognize that. But recognize that because of that sin, Christ has died for us, which gives us the second part, the wonderful part of the gospel, the wonderful truth of the gospel. That once I've received and accepted Christ, I am more loved and accepted by God than I ever could have ever hoped or imagined. I am fully accepted It doesn't matter what has happened in my past. It doesn't matter about my education. It doesn't matter about junk that has occurred. It doesn't matter about my pains. It doesn't matter about my inferiority complex that I'm dealing with. God fully loves me and accepts me as I am. And the truth of that is that I have been empowered through the Gospel and through the Spirit of Christ, that greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world, and that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and that He will meet my needs according to His riches and glory through Christ Jesus, that the Word of truth can dwell richly in me. And as it comes from my mouth and I speak forth it and believe it and cling to it, it is not me, but Christ who lives within me, for I have been crucified with Christ. But it is not my flesh that now lives. But Christ who is living in and through me. And I can stand through the power of prayer and through the power of the truth that I read and I let come out of my mouth. And Satan can't stand. It's just like here in this passage where he says, I know who you are. The Holy One of God. The Holy One of God who resides within us. The power of the Holy Spirit. So when those temptations and accusations come our way. We stand upon the truth. The truth and the power of who Jesus Christ is. See, demons are just like rats. If you go to a garbage dump, you'll see rats running around. Remember, we had a big garbage dump about three miles from where I lived. When I was growing up as a child, we didn't have garbage pickup. We lived up so far in sticks. So we had to take our own garbage. We'd load it up once a week in the back of the truck. And we'd take it out to the dump, which was about three, four miles down the road, down this dirt road, and we'd go and we'd throw it all out, and you, I would see, just about every time we'd go out there, we'd see rats running around. You know why? Because rats are attracted to garbage. Demons are the same way. They're attracted to your garbage. And they're gonna come in your garbage, but when you begin to take, when you begin to let Jesus take authority in your life, and begin to take rule in your life, and you begin to believe the truth of the gospel, and that Jesus cleanses you, and that there is no sin that He cannot forgive, there is no temptation that He has not experienced Himself that will not allow you the power to overcome, and you begin to claim His power and authority, then that garbage begins to get wiped away, and when God looks at you, He sees you as cleansed. And Satan doesn't have room to come in and accuse and tempt when we speak the truth to Him. So, believe the truth. Speak the truth. You know, I was glad when I was a child that my mom was an authority in my life. And that she spoke into my life. And that she was there in my life. And I was thankful. You know, I'm thankful now. And I was even thankful then. I wouldn't have probably told you that. But you know what I'm even more thankful for today? is the power and the authority of Jesus Christ in my life today that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And so the things in life that oppress me, the things that Satan will use that are in everyday considerations and encounters in life, that I don't have to live under that oppression, that I will say, you know what? By faith, I choose to believe that Jesus Christ is in control of my life and that he will walk me through this time, that he has forgiven me, that he has freed me, and that he will empower me to take the next step. I may not feel like it, I may feel sick, but I choose by faith to believe. Not what I see, not what others are telling me, not, what by, not by what it seems like will occur. Because Satan wants me to live in the worst case scenario. He wants me to believe because this has happened, this is where I'm going to end up. I'm going to end up in the street alone by myself and dying of starvation. He wants me to just go to the worst case scenario and start living there and feeling that oppression and living under it. But God says, look, yes, you've sinned. Yes, you have significant struggles and difficulties. But I want you to recognize that I want to work through that. I want to redeem that situation. I want you to use that to recognize how much I love you and how gracious and merciful and powerful I am that I can forgive And I want you to live in that. And I want others to experience how you have been forgiven. I want them to see the witness of your testimony that you're not going to live here in bondage. You're not going to live under the power and the oppression of sin. But you're going to cling to the gospel and you're going to believe that even through your sin, even through your terrible experiences, that I will redeem it and I will use it for my glory. That's the God I'm talking about. That's the one who has authority over my life, over my family, over my situations, over anything I experience. He ultimately is the authority. Even Satan himself, if you look in Scripture, he had to go to Job and ask for permission to attack Job. He had to go, Satan had to go to to God and say, I want permission to sift Peter like wheat. Hey, ultimately, God is in charge. And it doesn't mean that there's not a, there aren't demons who are oppressing, who are tempting and accusing, but you have to choose who you're gonna to listen to. You're gonna to listen to the true authority, or you're gonna to listen to that little kid in the background who's jealous of you, who wants your salvation but can't have it, who wants the power and the opportunity to worship like you do and go, well, you can't do anything. You can't do anything, right? And if my dad's bigger than your dad. Are you gonna to listen to that little snot? Or are you gonna to listen to living, live, the living and risen Lord? That's what we all have to come to. What voice are you going to listen to? Who are you going to make your Lord? you Are going to listen to the lies and the slander or to the truth? Your choice. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. It's by grace that we're saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. So since our salvation has not come by anything that we could work up or earn our own, Lord, why would we think the blessings of life, Life itself would be any different than the grace that has been given. That we live through faith and grace. Not only are we saved by it. So today, Lord, for those who feel the oppression of Satan, God, I pray that you would allow them to begin to break free, to be delivered from that, and to take, uh, Lord, to take your word, as it said, as power. And, Lord, to take your word in truth and by faith to speak it and to pray it and to believe it, and to begin to live it. And God, I pray that we would recognize the power of the gospel. For those, Father, who don't know you, Lord, I pray that they would come today and receive your salvation. For those, Father, who have been living under oppression, that they would come and believe that, uh, God, as we uh, pray over and as we speak truth, God, that you uh, strengthen us and that you bind up the strong man and those demons, Lord, and that you can, uh, Lord, release us from that, that that oppression. As we claim the truth, we embrace the truth, and we live in the truth, and we walk in the truth and the faith of Your Word. We thank You for this time this morning, and we ask that You use it to be glorified. In Your name I pray. Amen.